Good morning, Elevation. It's great to be with you once again. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time online in this virtual space, my name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here in Waterloo, and it's great to have you with us here this morning. Last week, our family spent some time on a little vacation in Collingwood. We love spending time there. We've been going the last couple of years, and there's just so much uh, great space there and beautiful spots by the water, beach areas. Uh, and the reality is most of the week was a fantastic week. I was worried going into it about the weather because I actually believed the weather report. But as it turned out, the weather was not an issue for us all, at all. What was an issue was our van. Now, nothing really dramatic. Um, but at one point, I think it was on day three of the week, I went to turn left and I turned, hit the signal and all of a sudden it was clicking like crazy. Uh, that's a sign to me that our taillight is out. So I kind of pulled the van over next time we stopped and I took a look and sure enough, the taillight was out. Um, I realized I'd have to replace it soon, want to be a safe driver and all that. So we went to Canadian Tire. I went in, I bought myself a new light bulb for like six bucks. And I also had to buy a little screwdriver because of course I'm on vacation. I don't have any tools. So I had to buy a little screwdriver that would fit into the very particular bolt uh, in the casing at the back of the van. So I went out to the back of the van in the parking lot and I put the screwdriver in and I started turning. Now, something you need to know about our van is that it's a 2008. It's an old vehicle, a lot of miles on it. And so this bolt was really tight. It was like seized tight and I'm cranking this thing. I'm working really hard to get this thing off, but it's not even budging. I thought to myself, well, I should probably just kind of take it back to the place we're staying, get a little cooking oil or something. Maybe that will lubricate it. But I decided to do something else. I asked my 16 year old son to tr take a try at it. Now I know it's a risky thing to do, but I really wanted to change this light bulb. I didn't want to have, you know, a malfunctioning bulb driving around town. So he grabs the screwdriver and he starts turning it and he's struggling with it. Um, but then he grabs a towel to get a better grip and he turns and turns and all of a sudden I hear this little pop or a click and I'm like, I think you got it. A couple more cranks and he got it. So it was this, you know, at once both humiliating and really proud moment for me at the same time. Um, but he gets the bolt out and it's fantastic. Only thing is there are actually two bolts on the casing. So he goes to turn the second one out cranking, cranking. And I heard a little sound. I'm like, oh, I think you might've got this one too. And he's like, mm, that didn't sound the same. And uh, he ends up discovering that he had stripped the bolt. Uh, so it's, again, it's old, it's in there really tight, but the bolt had been stripped, which means there's no chance of us getting this out with other tools. So I ended up having to book uh, a slot in at Canadian Tire. They couldn't get me in for two days. I ended up going there two days later and sitting there for a couple of hours while they do this quick five minute job to replace this light bulb, which should have been something I could do five minutes in my driveway at home. Sometimes things should be simple and they're not. Sometimes that's how life goes, isn't it? Things can be more complicated than we expect them to be. Something that should be easy ends up being really challenging. Well, this summer, we're gonna spend our time together exploring a theme that we may think of as simple, but that often ends up actually requiring some elbow grease of its own. And that theme is faith. Hebrews 11, is probably the most faith-filled chapter in the Bible. You might disagree. If you have other suggestions, by all means, let me know. But I think it is because the phrase by faith appears 20 times by my count, as we're introduced to an all-star cast of Old Testament characters and the various ways that they demonstrated their faith in God. Being human stories, these stories include both the highs and lows of faith, 
And my hope is that through reading and digesting their stories and through sharing our own more contemporary stories with one another, we'll experience a deepening of our own faith. So something that we're gonna do on Sunday mornings uh, over the course of the summer, starting next week, is that we're gonna be interviewing people from our Elevation community. And we're gonna be asking them about, you know, what's going on in their life and that, but we're also gonna be asking them about how their faith has been challenged or how their faith has grown over the course of this most unusual of years. So you can look forward to that. But what about those of you who may feel like you're looking at faith from the outside, peering in through the window to see what all the fuss is about in this virtual space? Well, first of all, I'm glad you're here with us. It's great to have you. My hope is that what you hear today will encourage your searching to continue. Now, the book of Hebrews, which is where this reading comes from, was written by an unknown author. It's pretty rare for the Bible. Most of the times we have an idea of who wrote what we're reading, but not in this case. But what we do know is that it's a letter very similar to a number of the letters that Paul wrote as well to the early believers. In the previous chapter, chapter 10, the author of Hebrews addresses the very real trials that early followers of Jesus were experiencing. The author refers to them as a great conflict full of suffering. Now that's a pretty heavy loaded phrase, a great conflict full of suffering. That's what their life was all about. He gives a couple of examples. Um, they were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and they experienced the confiscation of their property. Now these details are important because any invitation to have faith comes in the midst of whatever is happening in your real and actual life. And I think that that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say here. I know what's going on in your life. So what I'm about to say about having faith comes in the context of how you're actually living out your lives. Now, not many of us know what it's like to be publicly exposed to insult or to have our property confiscated. Some of us may have experienced these, but we have our own conflicts and our own suffering. And if you're anything like me, you've probably thought or maybe even said out loud something like the following. How am I supposed to have faith when X is happening to me? Now, X can be any manner of things. When I can't find work, when my marriage is a mess, when I'm failing out of school, when people are constantly disappointing me, when my mental health is at a breaking point, when the news reminds me of what a mess this world really is every single day. And so it's with all of this in mind that the author encourages the people to keep pressing on in faith. In chapter 10, verse 39, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, one of the things I love about this line is the reminder that the journey each of us is on is actually tied to the journeys of others. We belong to those who have faith. Now, this wasn't actually how I was planning on starting out this series, but I was struck by the reminder of the we factor, which is actually articulated in the very first line of Elevation's key value, life together. Faith isn't something that is meant to be done alone. This is an assumption that we have held since the beginning of our church's journey, that faith is not something that is meant to be done alone. We do this together. At the heart of this church community of ours is a common bond that followers of Jesus share as we walk together through the best and the worst of what life throws at us. Now, obviously, school came to a close within the last week or two here, 
and uh, our son Jude decided that he needed to come up with something to fill up all of this suddenly free time that he had. And so he went into our storage room and he pulled out uh, our old Rock Band kit. Now, if you're not familiar with Rock Band, uh, basically it's a, a game for the Wii in our case, uh, where you've got like this drum kit and you've got a guitar and you've got microphones and they all plug in and you sing along to these different songs. It's fantastic. We used to play it all the time as a family and Jude decided it's time to bring it back. Now, one of the things that always frustrated us when we would play it is that we actually never had a functioning um, kick drum pedal for the drums. So as we would watch the notes, the person is drumming, they'd be hitting all the different right, the right notes according to the color scheme, but they could never hit the kick drum. And so they'd often fail out. And it's not because they weren't doing a good job, but it's we had this component missing. So I said to Jude, listen, what, you've got to have a friend who has one of these sets kicking around. So he posted something on social media, sends a message out there. And before long, he gets a message back. So he's off on his bike across town to his friend's house, comes back, I've got the pedal for Rock Band. Uh, needless to say, Rock Band has been played constantly around our house these days. A life of faith without others? Well, it's like Rock Band without the kick drum. It's just not quite the same. You can maybe muddle through, but it's not gonna be the way that it was intended to be. So just as the Hebrews experienced a great conflict together, they held on to faith together. And so here's a bit of a challenge for you. The next time that you find your faith maybe wavering, Take a look around and ask, where is your we? Where are the people that you are journeying with in faith? So assuming that we're not trying to do this on our own, we can go on to the obvious next question. What does it mean for people like you and I and the Hebrews to have faith? Fortunately for us, there's a definition provided for us right at the beginning of chapter 11, which we heard this morning. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, words like confidence and assurance are strong words, but they're not guarantees, are they? Now, imagine you're camping. I actually went camping like maybe three weeks ago with some friends up in Algonquin. And the first thing that one of my friends said when we got out of uh, the vehicles at the campsite is he said, are there bears here? Um, now, if you go camping, uh, as many of us will this summer, maybe you will go to Algonquin, maybe you'll go to Laurel Creek, Maybe you put up a tent in your backyard. I don't know. Um, but one of the things, if, if you were to have this fear of bears, if you were to think, oh, I wonder if there are bears here. Imagine that kind of you're coming to the end of the night and you want some assurance and you say to the person maybe that you're sharing a tent with, um, you know, are there bears here? And their response is, I'm confident there are no bears. Would you rather hear that or would you rather hear them say, there are no bears? You see, if I'm zipping up the tent at the end of the night, I want someone telling me, matter of factly, there are no bears. Their confidence doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I don't want confidence. I want certainty. But as it turns out, faith actually requires the absence of certainty. We often assume that the opposite of faith is doubt, but that's not quite right. And we'll talk more about that later. Um, the opposite of faith is actually certainty. Uh, there's this great line from John Irving's classic novel, A Prayer for Owen Meany. Never confuse faith with something even remotely intellectual. What does he mean by this? This does not mean that faith is anti-intellectual. I think that's important for us to understand. It just lives in a different time zone. It speaks a different language. Pete Enns wrote a book called The Sin of Certainty in which he explores these themes. And this is how he explains things from his perspective. Part of my own journey of faith is letting go of knowing first, of sorting it all out first before I commit. For me, a big part of learning to let go of knowing is to not care how or whether my experiences can fit together in some 
overarching intellectual structure where my rational mind remains enthroned as the true and final arbiter of what is and isn't real. Now that's a bit of a mouthful, but what he's proposing is that we allow faith to be faith and knowledge to be knowledge. As Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us, being willing to walk forward with confidence and assurance, but not with certainty, is what the ancients were commended for. The reason we have all of the stories that we're going to be talking about this summer is precisely because our forefathers and mothers stepped out without the kind of certainty that we can safely assume they would have preferred just as much as we do today. Now, there's nothing commendable, after all, about camping out in your bedroom. But there is something commendable about camping out in the wild, about trusting God when you don't quite know what's coming next. And so it's in the wild, unknown territory of our lives where we are invited to set up our tents of faith, trusting that God is with us even there, and maybe especially there. Now, some things are just hard to believe. Sometimes someone will tell you something and you'll say, I don't believe it. This happened to me a few weeks ago. We were driving home from somewhere and Melissa was telling me about uh, a house in our neighborhood that was for sale. And she said that, you know, you know how at the bottom of the for sale sign, sometimes there's like a little narrow strip uh, where they have like some little message or their slogan or something like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. She said, I drove by a house that had that slogan and it said this on it. And she told me what it said. And I said, yeah, I don't believe that. There's no way. And she's like, no, that's what it said. And I'm like, you must have misread it. There is no way that a real estate agent would put that on the bottom of a sign. Someone must have put it there for a joke. She's like, it looked pretty official to me. So we were driving home and she's like, actually, why don't you just turn on the street before ours and we'll go and find it. So we did that. We drive around a couple of blocks and I pull up and lo and behold, this is exactly what the sign says. So I'm going to put the screen, the picture up on the screen here for you. And I will read it for the benefit of those who are listening. At the bottom of this for sale sign, in front of this big old house, it says free pizza with purchase of house. So you understand why I couldn't believe this when she told me that this is what the sign said. Um, it seems crazy to me. You're going to spend like upwards of a million dollars on this house. And the reward you get for that is a free pizza. Like, it just seems like bonkers to me. You know, you spend all of this money, you make this massive life purchase, you do all of, take all this risk, all the rest of it, and the real estate agent's like, you know what, I am gonna, I'm gonna chip in like 15 bucks for you. And you know what, maybe we'll get crazy and we'll call it 20 and we'll put like three toppings on the pizza. Like, we'll just go nuts here. Sometimes things that we hear are hard to believe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not true. In Hebrews 11, verse three, we read, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This first example in chapter 11, while not a person of faith per se, reminds us that there are some situations where knowledge, certainty, isn't really an option. Regardless of what you've heard, either in Sunday school or in science class, nobody knows for certain how this world of ours began. We don't know those details. What we have is Genesis 1 verses 1 to 3, where we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. When I read the opening verses of our Bible, 
I am captivated by a story of God speaking the known world into existence in a loving act of creation. But it is also a story with very real gaps, a story that fails to answer a number of questions, which can become a very real barrier to faith if certainty is the thing that we're after. As it turns out, I think this allusion to Genesis 1 is the perfect way to kick off a chapter on faith because it acknowledges the fact that every one of us has to locate our faith somewhere or the other. But at the end of the day, the invitation of faith is not really to believe something so much as believe someone. And that is where we put our faith, in Jesus. We have a place on our website that's called How We Believe. And on this page, we describe not so much what we believe, although we include that, but we talk about the way that we want to approach belief and faith as a church community. And this is what it says at one point. The life-giving center for elevation is not a particular statement or belief, but a trusting way of life rooted in Jesus. This is not about an idea that we assent to, but a path that we walk together. Now, another contender for the most faithful chapter in the Bible would have to be John chapter 20. John 20 is a story of Jesus' resurrection appearances to his followers. He was executed on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, and then on the third day, he was raised to new life. He appears to a couple of his followers, and then all of a sudden he appears to them in a room altogether. In John 20, verse 20, we read, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And just like that, the need for them to have faith was removed. Well, not for all of them, because one of their number was not there. His name was Thomas, and he was out running some errand, going to the bathroom, who knows what he was doing, but he missed Jesus' appearance. And so when he came back and his the rest of Jesus' followers told him about this incredible thing that had happened, his response was, yeah, no. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now let me condense that response for you. Unless I see, I will not believe. Now, I have no interest in vilifying Thomas, as so many have. Doubting Thomas, doubting Brandon, doubting, insert your name here, what's the difference? There's this great line in an Emily Dickinson poem where she writes, we both believe and disbelieve a hundred times an hour, which keeps believing nimble. You see, Thomas got what he wanted, and we can only assume that his faith burst into flame. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, guess who Jesus was talking about? You and me, the whole lot of us down through history who have chosen to follow Jesus by faith. The end of chapter 20 reads this way. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, there's so much more for us to explore in this theme of faith, which is exactly what we're going to be doing over the course of the summer. So stay connected. I realize that people will be away on vacation. I'd encourage you, download the podcast, watch the video in the middle of the week, whenever you have that time, because it'll be an, I believe it'll be an encouraging season for us. 
Now I want to end this morning by actually dipping my toes into the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, the author of Hebrews writes, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we have all of these examples of people who have lived by faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so right here at the end, perhaps the best news of all, Faith isn't something that we have to drum up in ourselves or that I have to drum up in you. It's a labor of love that Jesus began in you and that he will complete in you as you open your heart and your life to him. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful, first of all, for these words from scripture and for the lives that they tell the story of. These men and women down through history who have had the same challenge that we have of believing, of embracing a life of faith. God, I'm grateful that we get to do this together as a community. And I pray that we would all be reminded of that. Lord, help us to believe without seeing, inspire and encourage our faith. And may this summer season be a season of growth in faith for all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we do each week, we're going to take some time now in our neighbors groups virtually to gather around this morning's theme, check in with one another, talk about what we've heard, share our own experiences of faith. So I'd encourage you to do that. If you're not part of our neighbors group regularly, that's okay. There'll be a link in the comments section right now and you can join a group, actually the group that I'll be hosting. So hopefully I'll see some new faces there this morning. It's been great to connect with you and I pray that God is, will be with you and you will know his presence throughout the course of the week to come. Peace to you.